morning, everyone. Am I on? I am. Excellent. How are you? It's lovely to see you all. You're looking very in a sense of anticipation, as though something's happening in the next few weeks that we need to be excited about. Uh, I'm going to dive straight in, Bosch, this morning, if that's okay. Uh, One of my absolute favourites is anything that challenges our natural thinking and stimulates supernatural thinking. You know, uh, when we look at, at the Old Testament stories, we see countless situations that seem to contradict what we might call normal or natural or logical in human terms. And the relevance to us of those stories is that they illustrate how things operate in God's kingdom. God systematically begins to unfold that through the Old Testament in preparation for Jesus' advent. Then, of course, Jesus came, and, and as I often say, much of what he taught was upside down. It, it was counterintuitive, if you like. Jesus' teaching bent the Pharisees into all sorts of shapes and regularly left his disciples puzzled. And the corollary from that for us, I think, is that accurately following Jesus requires a consistent unlearning of the ways of the world, the the natural ways, if you like, and a relearning, a reinforcing of of God's ways, the ways of the kingdom, supernatural ways, if you like. So working our way down the timeline, Old Testament Jesus, then when Jesus left the the earth, the, the early church started to live that out as best they could. And so for me, the standout, distinctive, defining quality of the believers in the book of Acts was their bold and radical faith. And I think there's a danger. And the danger for us is is that that in our increasingly secularised world, in our increasingly materialistic and rational and intellectual world, We lose the essence of pure, raw, bold faith. A faith that obeys God, whatever. A faith that sees a completely different picture. And a faith that produces the supernatural New Testament results we see in the book of Acts. I want to spend... Three weeks we have, I have before Christmas, just provoking that, if you like. The the core verse for today is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, which you can all quote, you all know by heart, says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. The New Living Translation says, For we walk, we live by believing and not by seeing. So here's the point. As New Testament Christians, we're to live by faith sight, not by seeing sight. Not by what we can see with our natural eyes, but what we can see with our spiritual eyes. 
The Passion Translation uh, interprets 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by what we see with our eyes. In other words, we as New Testament Christians are supposed to see the world from a completely different perspective. Everything we see should be through the eyes of faith. Everything we see should be through the lens of cross and resurrection. Everything we see should be through spirit-filled eyes, should be through enlightened eyes, should be through liberated eyes, should be through prophetic eyes. Today I, I want to have a little bit of a look at, at, at the life of David. Uh, one particular incident, of course, David was a man of extraordinary faith. Uh, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. Who loves the story of David and Goliath? Who's got room in their hearts for one more telling of the story of David and Goliath? Excellent. Those of you who don't can just have a little snooze. The aim, that was a joke. The aim uh, is to illustrate how David operated by faith when everyone else was paralyzed by sight. Let's remind ourselves of the story. David was the baby brother. David was too young to fight, so he was left behind looking after his father's flocks of sheep. The Israelite army were camped in the valley opposite the Philistine army. The Philistines were were their historical arch enemy. And the Philistines had proposed a solution to the impasse, which is that we'll send out our champion... You send out your champion. They'll have a little fight and we'll see who wins. Then whoever wins will be the champions, the conquerors, the others will be slaves, servants, forever and ever. Amen. The problem was that their champion was Goliath of Gath. And he was an absolute giant. He was a beast of a man. He was utterly terrifying. Not only was he gigantic, and savage and scary looking. He was also a highly trained warrior with A-grade, state-of-the-art weaponry. Not only that, we had a long line of past conquests and triumphs. No wonder the Israelites were literally quaking in their boots. Not least, King Saul and David's very own brothers. So so this is the backdrop that David arrives to and his father Jesse sends him out from the fields to, to check up on his brothers and to take them certain supplies. 1 Samuel 17 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. 
As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Do you know what? Just like everyone else, David could hear Goliath's taunts and threats. Just like everyone else, he could see his terrifying sight. Just like everyone else, he could see the fear in the white of the Israelite army's eyes. In fact, everything he could see with his natural eyes is hopeless and desperate. And yet, when David closed his eyes, he could see a very different picture. David could see things that nobody else could see. And the key to this whole story, I think, is that David chose to look through his faith eyes and to ignore what he could see with his natural eyes. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we live by faith and not by sight. Which begs the question, I think, what could David see that no one else could see? And I'm going to propose three things that only David could see. Number one, he saw God as he really was. Number two, he saw who he was in relation to his God. And number three, he saw who his enemy was in relation to his God. Let's spend a couple of minutes looking at each of these. Number one, David saw God as he really is. Uh, Verse 45 and 47, still in 1 Samuel 17. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear and javelin. Sounds like he had three arms. Carry on. But I I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. John, I think it would be fair to say that the Israelites knew about God. They'd heard the stories of their forefathers, that they went through the motions of worship. The difference was that David really knew God. David didn't just know of him. He he didn't just know about him. He knew his God personally and intimately. You see, David spent his formative years with his sheep and with his Lord, with his shepherd's crook and his psalmist's harp, with his shepherd's handbook, I'm sure they had a shepherd's handbook, and with the stories of the great deeds of his God. You know, when David looked into the heavens, he saw the magnitude and majesty of God who created everything everything with his fingers. When he heard the name Jehovah, David remembered the stories of Passover and deliverance 
from evil. He remember, from Egypt. He, he, he saw the Red Sea parting. He, he, he heard, he imagined the walls of Jericho tumbling down. He, he remembered the exploits of Joshua and Samson and Gideon. David knew and understood the power of covenant and promise. So so the point out of that is is that strong faith comes from knowing who your God is and what he's done and what he's capable of doing and what he's promised he will do. The, The flip is that fear comes from ignorance of that. When you don't know who God is, when you don't know what he's done and what he's capable of and what he's promised to do. Strong faith comes from knowing that he is the deliverer and that no power on earth can even begin to oppose him. In David's eyes, this wasn't going to be a close run thing. This was going to be an absolute rout. So number one, David saw with his faith eyes. He could see who God really was. Number two, David saw who he was in relation to God. I want you to remember, in in the world's eyes, in the king's eyes, even in his father's eyes, David was nothing. He was son number eight, right at the very foot of the totem pole. When Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint the future king. And again, when his older brothers went off to war, David was left behind in Bethlehem, tending the sheep. This is how Saul saw David. 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous. Saul replied, there is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. You're only a boy. You're a shepherd. You're a harpist. Goliath will literally roll around the floor laughing if you rock up. He's the most feared warrior that history has ever seen. He's massive, he's battle-hardened, he's ruthless, he's undefeated and undefeatable. Go back to your sheep, little boy. Let's contrast that with how David saw himself. Verse 34, but David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. Joe, the strong in faith 
see themselves as God sees them. Not as everyone else sees them, and there is a difference. You know, with a natural eye, we might seem miserably weak, and woefully inadequate, hopelessly unqualified. We might see ourselves as a victim, stained by sin, broken and fallen and bound. But with faith's eye, we see ourselves as God's son, daughter and heir. We see ourselves as redeemed and free. We see ourselves as equipped and empowered. With faith's eye, we can see exactly who we are in Christ. With faith's eye, we can see nothing but solid rock, unbreakable promise, and the assurance of salvation. We can see exactly who we are in relation to our God. And the number three, David saw who his enemy was in relation to his God. Again, here's what the natural eye could see. Verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. That's a stone. Slightly more. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Verse 11, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. That's what the natural eye could see. That's what everyone else could see. But let's contrast that with what David's faith eye could see. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Remember the key is he saw who his enemy was in relation to his God. And there's a single key word in that stretch that I've just read you, and it is the word uncircumcised. You see, David said, I've been circumcised. I'm in covenant. I belong to God. I stand secure in his promise. I am safe in his hands. I am under the shadow of his wing. But Goliath is an uncircumcised pagan. Therefore, no relationship, no promises, no protection, 
and absolutely no chance at all. Talk about covenant for a, for a second. Historically, covenants were cut, literally cut, between a weak tribe and a stronger tribe. The weak tribe would usually have some form of asset worth going into a covenant relationship with, and the stronger tribe would usually have the physical force and the army and the weaponry. And the idea was that you would cut covenant and there would be a sign, a seal, usually in the wrist, they'd rub dirt in it, and it would create a scar. And the aim would be that when you encountered your enemies, the first thing you'd do is you'd roll up your sleeve and you'd show them the scar. In this case, the seal of the covenant was, was circumcision. And as you showed them the scar, that showed them who they were really fighting against. And so I picture David, at least in his own thinking, in his own sight, metaphorically speaking, walking out to meet Goliath, holding up his wrist, except it wouldn't have been his wrist, I'll use your imagination, and, and showing the scar, metaphorically speaking. And saying this, oh Goliath, you thought you were just fighting little old me. Well, have I got a surprise for you. See, faith knows who the real enemy is. Faith knows the battle is the Lord's and victory is inevitable. We read the end of the book and we know who wins. Fear, however, gives the enemy unreasonable power, concedes ground to the one making the most noise, and defaults to behaving like a victim. And the corollary out of all of that is it is so important what you see. It's so important what you can see. David could see things that nobody else could see. Okay, Let, let's bring all of that into our context now, if that's okay. Just a couple of thought-provoking questions for you. If David saw differently to everyone else, what do you see? What do you see? Do, do you see what everyone else sees? Do you see through God's eyes? Let me ask you this. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? You know that little, I should, should have put it up, that little picture, the little ginger pussycat staring in the oval mirror and seeing a picture of a lion looking back at him. Let me ask you this. When you look back at 2019, what do you see? When you look forward to 2020, what do you see? A thought I had, I had this week. Have you noticed that when you look back in hindsight, when you see the end from the beginning, all was not often not quite as it first appeared? You know, often as you look back in hindsight, you can see Jeremiah 29 verse 11, which essentially says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. 
And those plans are plans to favour us and plans to bless us. They're good plans. They're not plans to do us any harm at all. You know, often when we look back in hindsight, we can see Romans 8.28, which says, All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Often when we look back in hindsight at events that might have appeared scary through our natural eyes, we look back and we see Philippians 4 verse 19, which says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to your riches, his riches, in glory. You know, in retrospect, when you look back, you see that the circumstances lied to us. You'll see that God showed up for us. You'll see that what the enemy meant for harm, God turned for good. And that, for me, demonstrates that we should have had a very different perspective at the front end. We should have been looking through the eye of faith rather than just looking through the natural eye. And I'm convinced, you know, that if we are listening and if we are watching, God will use these experiences as we look back on them in hindsight to teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. Do you know, it's so easy to let experience or, or pain or, or our fluctuating emotions frame our perspective. We're caught like a rabbit in the headlights looking at what's looming in front of us and our perspective immediately gets framed. We're, we can either see through our natural eyes or we see through our faith eyes. The trouble is, our emotions, our experiences, our fears, they shout out at us. We have a choice, you know, we can see any challenge through faith eyes or through natural eyes. And here's the key, the eye that you choose to look through will determine the decisions that you make. You know, when the, when the natural eye is seeing problems, the faith eye sees promises. When the natural eye sees material lack, the faith eye sees spiritual abundance. When the natural eye sees, sees human weakness, the faith eye sees Holy Spirit strength. While the natural eye sees human opposition, the faith eye sees disempowered demonic stronghold. While the natural eye sees the effects of hatred, the faith eye sees the incredible potential of love. So important what you see. You know, the, the mountain in front of you you see with your natural eye may be a debt pile. It may be a broken relationship. It may be a stalled dream. It may be a medical diagnosis. Do you know what the reality is? It can be difficult to see past that. Especially as the enemy is great at making what we see with the natural eyes scary and intimidating and negative. But here's the crux. We, as New Testament Christians, are called to live not by sight. We're called to live by 
faith. You know, that doesn't mean that, that the mountain in front of us isn't real. It doesn't mean that it's not there. It doesn't mean that it's not significant. But what it does mean is, is that it's not what you choose to look at. It's not what you choose to respond to or choose to be led by. I love, I've shown them before. I love these three photos of Mount Everest. If we can have the first one. There's, there's Mount Everest. It, it, I don't think you really needed the circle. It's the biggest one, right? Now, if you're a mountaineer, I guess, or particularly if you're not, you look at that, it's pretty intimidating, pretty daunting. Imagine that's your mountain right there. That's what you see on the ground when you land in your aeroplane and you've said, I'm going to climb that, of course I'm going to climb that, and that's what you see. Yikes. Okay, photo number two. That's a little bit different. We're switching the perspective now. We're starting to look at a God's eye view. That's Mount Everest there. If that's not quite subtle enough for you, I want to give you what God sees. Thanks, Neil. <laughs> that's what God sees. That's, that's Mount Everest. Somewhere in there. I think I've got the right kind of spot there. Well, you can choose to look at your challenges through two sets of eyes. You can look at them through your natural eyes, or you can choose to look at them through your faith eyes. Now, I'm going to take a bit of a risk here. I'm going to attempt to make an illustration. And the aim is to illustrate what I think you know, which is how tough it is to switch from looking through your natural eyes to looking through your faith eyes. Because let's face it, you know, we're all, we always have this view. It's a big and a strong and a constant view, what we see with the natural eye. I'm going to need, going to need a volunteer. And I love your willing, enthusiastic desire to volunteer. Anybody, anyone going to volunteer for me, please? Oh, Eddie. Thank you very much. Eddie's a star. Okay, what I'd like you to do, Eddie, if I say that, wait, wait a second. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to make a journey up the centre aisle, round there and back to your seat, please. Off you go. There we go. Watch and admire. <laughs> Mr. Co- Mr. Cool and Dapper with his hands in his pockets. Taking a very, very simple, straightforward walk around there. Well done. Excellent. Hasn't banged into any furniture. Hasn't, not yet. Hasn't conked anyone on the head by mistake. Hasn't knocked over the candles. You can come back here now, mate. You can come back here. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Stand right there. Okay, now we're going to take away your natural eyes. <laughs> so you might need to move your bins. Okay, this, this is, there we go, it's a Puma's scarf. Thank you. I wore, I wore it this morning for my dog walk. It's nice and warm. Okay. Okay, so, so I'm, what the aim is to illustrate that this is unnatural now. I've taken away his natural eyes. Now, I'd like you to make the same walk. <laughs> He's joking. Right. The difference is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you. Okay. okay? And uh, I reckon with a bit of practice, this should be pretty straightforward. We'll give it a go. So, so just walk about five steps forward. One, two, three, four, five. couple more. Right. Stop. Now turn to your right about 80 degrees. Good lad. That's it. Straight on. Straight on. Okay. Just a tiny bit more to the right. 
Okay, good, that's perfect. Straight down the middle, off you go. One, two, keep going, two, three. Right a bit, right a bit, right a bit. That's left. Good, good, that's straight on, straight on. Okay, keep going, keep going. You're doing really well. He still bugs you. I'd have my hands out here. <laughs> I'd have some natural bugs. You've got ten steps to go. Two, three, bit left, bit left. That's it. Bit left, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Three more steps. One, two, three, four. Did I say three? Turn. Nine degrees. That, he knows, he knows. Go straight, 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 straight. One, two, three, four. Keep going. Another five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Stop. Okay, right. Big swing. That's it. Right, good. You're looking straight at me now. Left a bit, left a bit. That's it. Straight. Go. One, two, three, four. So casual. I'm right, oh, left a bit, good, you got one, <laughs> good shot, straight on, straight on, left a bit, you'll get Murray, that's it, straight on, right a bit, right a bit, right a bit, He's, he can sense, he can smell his wife's perfume, look, He's had it. okay, and then just take a seat, just swing around, there you go, you're there, well done, brilliant, thank you very much, excellent. <laughs> Okay, what's, what's, the, what's the point of all, all that? Did that feel really weird? Yes. Yeah, so someone, someone, you know, used the idea of, you know, it feels like taking a shower with your socks on. That's just, that's just, that's just weird, really. But you know what, I, I'm convinced that, that actually, with practice, that's doable. It's not so hard. As long as you trust the one who's leading and guiding you. Me and Eddie, see, you can tell. And the point I want to make through that is it's difficult for us to switch off our heavy reliance on those natural eyes. It's difficult to switch that off and instead to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because that's what faith does. Faith walks not by sight, but by faith. You know, I'm convinced there's a danger that we live our lives putting 90% trust in our senses, or we can see, we can smell, hear what people are saying, 90% trust in that, and, and say, because we're Christians, we put 10% trust in God. I wonder what that, that might have been a bit harsh. I wonder what that figure is for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's 50-50. And I wonder, in order to walk by faith, we're going to need to flip those figures. We're going to need to switch it so we're walking 90% according to our, our faith senses, if you like, and only 10% or 5% or ultimately 0% in, in our natural senses. The question is then, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we lessen the influence of what we see with our natural eyes that's jumping up and down in front of us making a lot of noise? How do we lessen the influence of that and magnify the power of what we can see, what we can see with our faith eyes. Well, Romans 10, 17, you know it well, says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, we need to get deep into God's Word so we can get God's Word deep into us. You know, we too must know, like David, we must know who our God is. It's great on a Sunday morning we sing those songs. We remind ourselves who God is. Number two, we must know who we are in relation to our God. You know, we sing songs about that too. 
And thirdly, we must know who our enemy is in relation to our God. And to know, as Guy used to say, it is not a fair fight. You see, while David, David's big brothers and the rest of the Israelites were, were busy engaging with the world and busy training their natural senses, the shepherd boy psalmist was playing his harp. He was becoming a worshipper. He's known as a man after God's own heart, isn't he? He was becoming a worshipper. He was meditating on the goodness of God, replaying those past triumphs and stories over and over in his head. And then he was practicing on the lion and the bear that came to threaten his sheep. While he was doing all of that, God was training him in the ways of faith. No wonder when it came to the crux point, the crunch point, David could see what no one else could see. I'm going to close with with my favourite thought of the week and I'm just going to throw this out there as a kind of teaser really. Have you ever wondered why God blinded Saul of Tarsus? Remember that story? Saul is, is, um, is, is persecuting the church. He's a staunch Pharisee. He's very, very, very anti-Christian. And on that fateful day, on the road to Damascus, God knocks him off his, sh- his, his horse, shines a bright light, and he's actually physically blinded. Have you ever wondered why God felt it was necessary to do that? Now, I'm not 100% sure that this is true. But I said it's a fun thought. I wonder if it's God's way of saying, you've been seeing this all wrong. And the first thing you must do is to close those eyes and I'm going to show you how to see something completely different. In order for you to fulfill your destiny, I'm going to need to retrain you so that you see not through your natural eyes, but through your faith eyes. I wonder. And if that is the case, no wonder that Paul was the one who went on to write 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, which says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to give you a couple of challenge questions and then we'll be done. Question number one is, is how good are you at closing your natural eyes and opening your faith eyes? Because that's the lesson. That's the journey. That's what God is trying to train us to do. That's what the early disciples were so good at. How good are you at closing the natural eyes, not looking at Goliath, but opening your faith eyes and seeing God. Question number one. Take that to the Lord this morning. Ask him. Question number two is, is what do you need to take your eyes off, your natural eyes off, right now? What's the big, scary distraction right in front of your nose? Right now, you're transfixed by it. It's all you can see with your natural eyes. Eyes. 
God is saying to you, I want you to stop looking through your natural eyes. We walk by faith. We live by faith and not by sight. Take your eyes off that. And I'd encourage you, to, again, take that to the Lord. What is it today that, that has my gaze, is right in front of me? The only thing I can see with my natural eyes right in front of me. And then question number three, in that context, in your immediate circumstances, once you've closed your natural eyes, question number three is, what is God showing your eye of faith? What is God showing your eye of faith? What we're going to do this morning is, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back to the front. I could lose my scarf attractive there. It was. Um... Uh, and I'm going to encourage you to take those three questions to the Lord. We're going to go on a little three-week journey looking at, I call the series, Faith Alive. I'm convinced that God wants to bring our faith to life. God wants to feed our faith. God wants us to hear his word and reinforce once again so that we can be a people of faith rather than the people of sight. So I'd encourage you this morning. As we just respond now, just take those little thoughts, those questions. You may have the answers already. Take them to the Lord and do business with him. I'm going to pray. Why don't, why don't you stand? Thank you all for your patience. Could have heard a pin drop, not a single snore. Well done. And we'll pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God worth following. That you are awesome. And that you are victorious. And that you are for us and that we are yours. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, help us to be people of faith, people who walk by faith rather than sight, people who can, can, can take that, navigate that journey from that natural, materialistic, secularized way of thinking that we've been squished into and once again be a supernatural people who see what you see who do what you've called us to do, who who obey you whatever, who really, really walk by faith. And Father, into those challenge questions, I just pray that everyone will help them, Lord, today to see. God, would you take the veil off so they can see your glory? Would you shine an utterly different light at that mountain so they can see what it is in relation to to you. Holy Spirit, we just give you the next few minutes. Come have your way. Come show us. Come shine your light, we pray. In Jesus' name.